As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, here's the deal. You are listening to one of our earlier episodes, and in the time that we've been doing the show, our audio quality has improved and continues to improve. So... While the content is good in the early episodes, the sound quality is not so great. You may want to start with a more recent episode, or if you're really patient, you can start at the beginning and just stick with us. Trust us, it does get better. This is uh, episode four of Something's Not Right podcast, and I'm Tashana. I'm Olivia, and we have a special guest. It's my mom, Terry. Hello. Um, I'm going to talk about something that happened in a neighborhood in Nashville called West Mead today. And the reason my mom is here is because she grew up in that neighborhood around this time, olden times. And uh, so I just thought we could use her input here. Uh, so I'm going to start, unless you have anything to add about Westmead. Well, if you, just by way of a little background, during the 60s was when this was deep Westmead. This is Westmead around Westmead School. And uh, this is where a lot of young couples were building and marrying. At marrying and building. This is where a lot of young couples were raising their families. And interestingly, uh, nearby was St. Henry's Catholic Church, which was also an elementary school. And so there was a preponderance of Catholics over or around St. Henry's. And there were a preponderance of young Jewish families Whoa. around Westmead. So, and then we Protestants 
lived kind of in between the two. It was a it was a you know, middle class, not really, well, you might say slightly to the upper middle class end. Okay, well, and that's uh, slightly to the upper middle class end is probably where this family fits in. Uh, so I am just going to tell you what happened. On the afternoon of November 30th, 1967, would you have been living there then? Yes. Okay. So this was right around the corner from you. Uh, Mrs. Lillian Sloan, a housekeeper for Weber Parish, that's a person, heard a sound like someone falling against the front door, and she opened the door to find Mrs. Merlin Woodfield, the next-door neighbor, she was down on the doormat, bleeding profusely, and Mrs. Woodfield said, I'm hurt, get me a doctor. So Mrs. Sloan tried a couple of times to ask Mrs. Woodfield what happened, uh, but Mrs. Woodfield couldn't, couldn't get any words out. Uh, then Mrs. Sloan called out to Nell Parrish, that was the, the mother of the homeowner, to see if she could drive Mrs. Woodfield to the hospital. And they waited for Mrs. Parrish to get dressed. Um, hopefully she did that quickly. It just said in the paper, like, while they waited for her to get dressed, um, uh, Mrs. Sloan cleaned off Mrs. Woodfield's face and sat with her. And it was then that Mrs. Woodfield asked Mrs. Sloan to call her husband, uh, but she had a hard time telling her the phone number. I think she eventually got it out. She also asked Mrs. Sloan to call the police. And on the way out, Mrs. Sloan asked Margaret Weber, Nell Parrish's sister, to call Mrs. Woodfield's husband. I have said a whole lot of names here. I hope you that's have. not confusing. The main thing is Mrs. Woodfield. She's our victim. Uh, Mrs. Sloan is the, the neighbor's housekeeper, and she was helping her out. So Mrs. Sloan told the Tennessean that Mrs. Woodfield complained of being unable to catch her breath not long after they got in the car. She was unconscious by the time they got to the hospital, which is about four and a half miles away. This was St. Thomas Hospital. Uh, Mrs. Sloan wasn't able to get a whole lot of information out of Mrs. Woodfield during the ride because Mrs. Woodfield couldn't really talk. She didn't give a description of her attacker or anything like that. Uh, later on down the line, in, in testimony, Mrs. Sloan said that all Mrs. Woodfield was able to say was her daughter Lisa's name and she said it three times on the way to the hospital so that's a bummer. Uh, Mrs. Woodfield died around 3 50 p.m. about an hour after her attack while she was undergoing surgery at St. Thomas Hospital and she had suffered two stab wounds in the chest. One of those hit her in the heart um, and one was in her left side there wasn't any sexual assault, and she was just 43 years old. Police apparently weren't notified of the incident until she had reached the hospital and died. And I read somewhere that they felt like they might have caught the killer if they'd been called sooner. Um, by the time Alan J. Woodfield, Mrs. Woodfield's husband, made it to the hospital, police told him his wife was already dead. And... Um, in later testimony by Mrs. Sloan, she said it was between 45 minutes and an hour from the time that Mrs. Woodfield showed up at the door to when they arrived at the hospital. I don't, doesn't that seem long to you from Brookmont Terrace? And how long was that? I mean, the, she said it was in like between 45 minutes and an hour from when they got to that house in Westmead to St. Thomas Hospital. I mean, 
I don't know if old-timey cars were slow. But... Well, are we certain that St. Thomas was located then where it's located now? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Because St. Thomas, before it was in its current location, was down on Hay Street, Ew. just off of Elliston Place. But I don't know if they had moved by then or not. Huh. Well, I'm a research other... assistant. I think he's looking it up over there, so maybe <laughs> maybe we'll have an answer in a minute on that. But the the ME testified that if they had arrived sooner, it still wouldn't have saved her life because that stab wound in her heart was so bad. Well, my question real quick to interject, was it common? Was it more common back then that people weren't as quick to call like uh, emergency people? Well, the, when things happened, there was no such thing as nine one one. Okay, and yes, I knew it, that. It, I can't remember when that was established. But you could call zero, right, for an and operator. Get an operator, and then the operator would connect you through. But it does seem strange. Maybe what if somebody's on your party line? Well, oh yeah, my I mom don't think talks he, a lot about the party. Yeah, you wouldn't have had a party line on that street. But, oh really? No. Those Why were not? those were fairly nice homes up there. So party lines were more for the poor side of town. Yeah, working class, which is where my know. mom grew up. So that's right. why my mom's very familiar with yeah. the party lines. Um, is the party line like is it a less expensive option or was it considered tacky or something? I don't well, know. no, it was just a less expensive option. Oh, okay. And it was kind of inconvenient, as your mom's probably told you. You know, more than one family would be on uh-huh. one line. And if they were using it, you know, you couldn't use it. And, I would want to listen mom, in. Oh, my mom tells stories about how one of her neighbors that was a teenager, she's like, I used to listen to her talk to her boyfriends. Oh, my. She was like, it was like free entertainment. Yeah. As, as a young budding girl, like listening to this girl, she's like, <laughs> I was getting tips. <laughs> from this teenager and I was like was she a little she's like she was a little wild and it was kind of fun listening to her <laughs> phone conversation. let's find out her name and call her out sometime we should yeah we should not do well, <laughs> so oh oh let's see what yeah, if, they were still on Hayes until 1974 okay so the hospital was okay. a little further away to where now we're back closer to where back is so that makes some more sense. Okay. I was I was worried that the the you know the mother in law of the homeowner was just like putting on her makeup while this woman's <laughs> bleeding to death on the, the front porch and say, that's shitty. Um, okay, well Merlin Eva Johnson was born on a, August twenty fourth, nineteen twenty four, in Pennsylvania. She married Alan Judson Woodfield in New Jersey in nineteen forty five. And at one time, she'd worked as a model. Um, I think I put up a picture uh, on our Instagram of her. She was really pretty. And that was a that was a picture, an earlier picture of her, too. Um, and she was a homemaker at the time of her death. The Woodfield family moved to Nashville from somewhere in the Northeast in 1965 when Alan J. Woodfield took a job as president at Timco, a company that made gas heating equipment. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Woodfield had four daughters ranging in age from 7 to 21 at the time of the murder, and luckily none of them were were there when the attack happened. So the Woodfield home, Tashana, I need to take you by there. Yeah. It's at 6644 Brookmont Terrace. It's an incredible mid-century modern home. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm from, I haven't been past there in a while, but I did look at it um, on Google 
street view and exterior looks like it's fairly unchanged now when you compare it to the there was a crime scene photo of it in the newspaper right after the murder and um i wrote here i am seriously in love with this house we should well, buy it. I probably will be too. I don't know that I could live in a murder house, but she didn't uh, die there, so maybe. Yeah, I, I, I think I'd be okay with it. It's um, and it was kind of I don't know if you'd call it an A-frame, but there's like a there's a cool roof situation happening. Probably not an A-frame. It was more of the uh, geometric. Sort of, yeah. Gotcha. But it was more that a long day. Man, I hope they didn't like gut out all the coolness inside. Well, there is some coolness. Because I, I get mad when I watch those like, not to go into a different direction, but when you watch those like, find me a house or I don't know, those dumb home and garden shows, TV, HGTV mm -hmm. shows, and they always go in and they want to take out everything then I'm like why would you get rid of all this like built in, like, built in yes that. shelving that's like handmade like why would you get rid of that and fill then, in the conversation pit oh it makes me I get like I can't watch those shows because those are architectural treasures just like a Victorian would be yeah or a craftsman would be a good time capsule home from that era that's right so this house was the most expensive house on Brookmont Terrace at that time it, they paid I think 80000 for it which Whoa. would be in the neighborhood of about 600000 now so that's a you know <laughs> That's a big deal. Um, and her husband was the president of this company. So I'm. What company was it? It was called Temco. It was a they made gas heating equipment. Oh, okay. Um, but the first article on the crime said the home was quote lavishly furnished. Uh, also, I read that shortly after moving in, the Woodfields added a pool, oh. and they renovated the ground floor to include a steam bath. What? I don't know if that's like a steam room or a hot tub or what, but it sounds fancy. Whatever what would that be? I don't know. You know, hot tubs and saunas and stuff really just were not a part of the... American culture at that time. So that may be what it was. Yeah. Like something new. Like, I yeah. bet it was a steam room. Also a small gym. Oh, that would make sense if they've got a right. little gym to have a steam mm -hmm. room. And they, um, the family also put in a small chipping and putting green what? outside uh, for Mrs. Woodfield because she was really into golf. Did they have kids? They did, but this was just like, this wasn't like, a putt-putt course, which would be Ooh. what I would want. But right. this is just for, you know, <laughs> practicing for, like, boring golf. Um, Let me ask you something. This this comes up to me I, because I would have been probably at Westmead Elementary School at that time. But I don't recall any Woodville kids. Were they perhaps Catholic and did the kids maybe go to St. Henry's? Uh, well, they were between 17 and 21. And uh, the two younger oh, ones, oh. the two younger ones were in school. Um, one was away at college and one was out of state. Okay. All right. That, that answers that. I was out of state. Than that. In college? Um, I don't think so. But Westmead is a nice neighborhood. And or it was then, and it still is, and it's quiet. And this particular home sits near the top of what's known as Nine Mile Hill, which is named for the distance between the top of the hill and the center of the city. 
And I mean, you can see the buildings downtown, downtown Nashville from the top of this hill. It's so, so high up. Wait, is that where I'm thinking it is? Mm. The hill? It is a hill that is big. Headed towards Bellevue? Yes. Yes. Okay. Nine and miles. there's a high rise apartment there, Wessex Towers. At the yes. Top of it. Okay. Yes. Um, so. Great description. <laughs> it is it, a hill. It is a hill. That is big. The only other crime anybody could remember in the area was a break-in at the Woodfield home um, in 1966 while they were staying at their summer home in Connecticut. So, not a lot of bad stuff going on over there. Um, And this really isn't relevant to the crime, but the first article the Tennessean published about the murder noted that the Woodfield home was near where, and this is a quote in there, the old Hetty Ray's nightclub was. And that name That's cracked me up. Name. Yeah, Hetty Ray's. Yes, it and it, it didn't sound to me like something in keeping with this neighborhood because the neighborhood's like totally residential. Um, so well, you have to part- remember that that neighborhood, however, was probably not built till at the earliest, late 50s. And prior to that, that was the country out there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So a lot of it was farmland. The Newhoff family owned a whole lot of property out there that was farmland. Um, and this would have just been, you know, it would have been almost rural. You got something to say? You better come over here by the microphone. Here comes JR. I My ban has been lifted. Uh, this is just a little Newhoff sidebar. The, the Newhoffs uh, owned a dairy, uh, which is, uh, and now the name escapes me, the dairy there across from the Hustler store on Church Street. Oh, yeah. I ran uh, by there. The, oh! The Newhoffs were part of the um, bizarre and forgotten large, relatively large Swiss immigrant community that was in Nashville. Um, oh, hence the dairy. The dairy, yeah. yeah. And the cows. Yeah. And the Newhoff name. But uh, there was a significant enough Swiss community that there was a, a Swiss Reformed Church in West Nashville for a time. What? Which I've been trying to determine where that was. Switzerland is my boyfriend. I know. I'm sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Newhoff matriarch um, died within the last couple of years. And they had since moved to a very extensive estate in Old Hickory. Uh, which sold to like some televangelists or something about 18 months ago. What? Yeah. Alrighty. Very interesting. And just a, another little side note about that group that I just learned a couple of years ago. There used to be a little market of some kind that sat on the property, on the New High property, where the uh, the church is now, St. Henry's. And I met Bishop uh, Choby a few years ago. He's the Catholic bishop for our diocese. And I told him that I had grown up out there. He said, oh, well, I'm older than you, but I used to work at that little, at the Newhoff's little market. I just thought that was interesting. Exciting. Well, tell us about Hetty Ray's nightclub. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I want to know. Okay, what, well, now, what was going on at Hetty Ray's? Sister. Well, Hetty Ray's predated me, but your grandfather, uh, who was one of a kind and quite the character, and who knew the nightlife in Nashville very well. Wait, which grandfather is this? This is her dad. My he, dad. Was, he was a race car driver. He was an S car driver, very handsome. Not to be weird by saying that your grandpa was really good looking. But I've seen his picture. <laughs> he, was he was hot. Incredibly good looking. 
And he had like movie stars. Yes, quality. and he knew it. And he <laughs> he was, you know, he knew the nightlife. And but he would probably have only been. He might have still been in his teens when he went to Hetty Ray's. But Hetty Ray's was what we... Drinking, though, probably. Drinking, yeah. Yeah, because you could drink then, though, when you were 18. Well, but no, it, actually whether not. or not you could, it didn't. It, I mean, that wouldn't have mattered. He oh, just, that's right. They didn't change that until Vietnam. That's right? correct. Yeah, because of when the Bill whole... When Bill Dunn was governor, yeah. when that changed. He did what he wanted to do. Though. He did what so he wanted to do. So his age didn't really matter. Well, yeah, Hetty Ray's doesn't sound like the kind of place that's concerned. Right. And it was what would be known as a roadhouse. Oh, roadhouses. Roadhouse. And um, the only... You know, there were... There were a cut, two or three places out that way that were like that. Because, like I say, that was, you know, that was on the edge of town to the country right, right. there. Um, the only time I saw anything that had anything to do with Hetty Race, and this is really unusual, but my brother and I, we were big, you know, we rode our bikes all over the neighborhood, even where we weren't supposed to. And course, we yeah. went, we had her dad talking about Hattie Ray's that that had been there and so we went up Nine Mile Hill this was before the high rise was there and the place was just destroyed but we we were kind you know we shouldn't have been messing around in there but there were a lot of old wooden chairs like you would expect to oh find. so it was abandoned at that point it was abandoned and were and you really smoking drugs destroyed <laughs> now this was this was before my brother was on the drug okay. gotcha. <laughs> anyway that so that's what Hetty race was oh well, so like you went name. in there though after it was abandoned yeah i mean it it had collapsed was it pretty yeah. what, what how what was the size was it relatively small or was it I decent i didn't have a real feel for it, but typically I wouldn't think a place like that would be huge. Right. Now, that's fair. Usually those smaller sort of places, or those places tend to be on the smaller side, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, that was exciting. We should try and find pictures of it. Yes. Yes, we should. I'm sure someone's put oh, them I'm online. I'm like old pictures. I haven't seen them, but I'm sure they're out there. Well, let me tell you about this murder situation. Somewhere. Yeah, murder. Um, <laughs> so she was stabbed, which is yeah. what killed her, obviously. Um, Lillian Stone, the housekeeper, she told the police she had seen a man at the Woodfield home just after Mrs. Woodfield came home from the grocery store around 1.15 that afternoon. Um, according to Mrs. Sloan, the man was wearing dark clothes and the hat, and he was dragging something that looked like a rake or shovel. The Tennessean referred to him, and this is a quote, this is, called him a burly Negro man. Oh, um, So I guess that's how they did things at that time. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah, early 60s, that would have been common yeah. practice. This was actually that 1967. Anyway, so, like, about a half an hour after that, she saw the guy, the same guy, go through the Woodfield yard and head toward the back of the house. And then about 15 minutes later, she saw him walking down Brookmont Terrace from the top of the hill toward the Woodfield home. He turned toward the house, and that was the last time she saw him. Um, several neighborhood witnesses also saw a man fitting that description around the time of the murder. Mrs. Bernard, Bernard, Bernard... Bernard Weinstein. Weinstein. Bobby we, Weinstein. Is this somebody you know? Is this somebody you dated? 
No, actually, um, they were my parents' age. He was probably the most significant architect in town Whoa. during those years. Huh. I mean, he's still living. She passed away just a few weeks ago, oddly enough. Well, she... Uh... And they live probably about two to three doors from there. Oh, okay. Well, she, uh, yeah, it says here she lived on the same street about a quarter of a mile from the Woodfield home. She said she saw the man around 2.30, which police believed was right after the stabbing. Um, and a neighborhood teenager also saw a guy rushing through a wooded area south of Highway 70, which is nearby, around 3.30 p.m. Um, police initially believed that Mrs. Woodfield was attacked at her front door, which is where the most blood was. There was also a little blood in the stairway and on some things at the top of the stairs, as well as some stains on a pillow in the master bedroom, which may or may not have been blood. Also a small stool with one broken leg near the top of the stairs. It wasn't clear if maybe she had wandered up there in a daze or if the attacker had run up the stairs. It, it doesn't really fit it anywhere with the details of the rest of the story that I'll get to eventually, but... Yeah, it's just worth noting. Uh, there was a trail of blood leading to the neighbor's house, which, you know, I'm sure that came from Mrs. Woodfield when she was on her way over there. Um, a few gardening tools were propped up outside of the Woodfield house close to the front door, including a spade. It said a spade, but then everything else calls it a shovel. Isn't a spade small, small. like a hand? That's my. That's yeah. what I would call a it's, hand spade. It yeah. said once or twice. It said spade, but the the impression I got is that this was a shovel, and and that'll make a little more sense later too. Um, so police thought that that might have been what Mrs. Sloan saw the man carrying, but she said dragging something. You wouldn't be dragging a little tiny no, spade. You'd be dragging a shovel. Mm -hmm. So. Um, a red and black 1965 Pontiac GTO was found by police oh. stuck on a dirt road behind the victim's home around 1 a.m. Um, and and I do want to ask you about that area in a minute. But let me let me keep going here. Uh, police felt like the attacker might have been using the shovel to free the car because it was stuck in the mud. Uh, the license plate had been removed, of course. So, and they searched the next morning for the license plate and the murder weapon because there were a lot of woods nearby. And, and I guess there kind of still are. I mean, there are still wooded areas over there. Um, but, it, you know, it just seemed likely that that's where the killer would have hidden them. Um, As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mrs. Woodfield's 11-year-old daughter, Leslie, told police that she had seen a similar car to the one that was found abandoned there two weeks prior around the same area uh, near... There's a dumping ground up there that was also used as a lover's lane. Oh, uh, she didn't see anyone near the hotter than garbage everywhere. Well, this lady looks guilty. That, but that's Uh-oh. is is this <laughs> would that have been where Hetty Ray's was up there? Well, I, you know, I am a little bit perplexed by this. There was at least one lover's lane that was a dead end that would have been on the other side of the hill. Was this like Rolling Fork? No, that would area? be even. Farther over. This, I don't know anything about that. This was over around about in the West Coast. Rolling Fork and making out? Yeah. I don't know oh, yeah. anything about that. My husband's looking at me. He Do you, you have that. a story about it? Like, he he doesn't have a story dead. about it. There aren't any stories about <laughs> it involving him. Oh, anyway. Well, he grew up where I did. That would almost make sense, though, because the, the, the dead end that was the lover's lane over in that area would have been at the bottom of that hill but on the back side okay well i it's hmm. all, that's that's apparently where the car was but there was like an area there that they made it telling people would dump shit over there too and i so i wondered if that's where hetty rays was if there was a collapsed building you know and you had to dump a couch yeah you know that is highly possible so anyway um Mrs. Woodfield typically took a nap every morning because she had low blood pressure. Um, But she had missed her nap the day she was killed because she had some some plans earlier in the day. And uh, so police felt like she had instead taken her nap after she went grocery shopping, woke up around 2.30 and found the attacker in the hallway outside of her bedroom not exactly what happened, but that's kind of what they were thinking. They felt like he stabbed her when she approached him at the top of the stairs uh, and that she then would have made her way down the stairs out the front door. They concluded that the attacker left through the back door with her purse, which he discarded about 50 yards away from the house after taking some money out. Um, And Mrs. Woodfield's husband, Alan, told the police he couldn't think of anybody who'd have a motive so he did take stuff. Yeah, just some money okay. from her purse, and I think that was that was pretty much it. Um, but the husband felt like there wasn't anybody they knew that would have a motive to hurt her, and he thought it was you know likely to be related to robbery. He also mentioned to police uh, that they didn't typically lock their doors 
What the fuck, people? That was a big thing back then. That though. absolutely was but a big thing. But, like, on all these true crime shows that we watch all the time, you know, in these small towns, people are like, we didn't There's still doors until it happened. people don't in, we like, did. really rural areas. Well, listen up. Lock your damn doors. And, and they, you know, they had also had... It was like the year before that break in at their home when they were away. We didn't lock the door. But you have to, I mean, and look at you now. Well, <laughs> on one hand, like, I understand what you're saying, but I can also understand from the way things were then. It's not like now where you're constantly bombarded with this kid's been abducted, people are being murdered and raped. Like, it wasn't yeah. in your face, it was happening, but you just didn't know about it. It wasn't widely reported, all of the, like, evil things people were doing. So you just kind of were like, okay. And there were crime shows on TV, but they certainly were not true crime. I mean, it really Yeah, it was like Perry Squad. Perry Perry Mason. Mason. It would not be anything that would alarm you like some of the things that we watch today. Well, because you didn't... I miss a lot of those, just from what I saw, it's like crime in the big city. It's exactly. not showing you that there's what people being murdered. What about Mayberry? There was crime in Mayberry. There were women being stabbed in the heart. Ernest Bass. There should have been. In yeah, Mayberry. Do we know that Ernest T. Bass wasn't a serial killer? <laughs> we can do a whole episode about that. Yes. Where we break down Mayberry and who... We should. What's her face? We should study it and say who we think would be if someone in Mayberry was a serial killer. What's her face? He was always such a bitch to Aunt B. Then she went and you know helped Rosemary get pregnant with the devil's baby. The one that um, Clara, Clara, was she the one that she was up against in the? Flower contest. The flower contest. Yeah. Yeah. contest. That episode always makes me like tear up. Yeah. Because sweet. Because oh, bitch. I think we know who the serial killer would have been. Barney. Now, well, Barney would be a good guess, but I was thinking, uh, oh, Howard. Well, yeah. Uh, he's too much of a neat freak, and yeah. uh, and was a bachelor. He's kind of yeah. He's a loner. And the dead giveaway, the bow tie. That's right. Oh. <laughs> Peace out, bow tie wearer. Um, <laughs> So where was no offense I? To other people who maybe listening I'm so stressed out about that bitch Clara now. I can't. She I can't. was. She was a real bitch. Clara. Oh, okay. Well, so there had been some reports Envy from people. Bitch, she could. Sorry, she, a little bit. Sometimes yeah. she could be a little snooty. Judgment. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Go ahead. So there had been some reports from people in the area who had seen an African-American man hitchhiking on Nine Mile Hill. Um, I am guessing that anyone hitchhiking on Nine Mile Hill would have been unusual. I think that would be kind of unusual now. And and probably an African-American man in that neighborhood would have been unusual too. I'm assuming there were uh, the no African American families that lived yeah, down absolutely there. not, except for the caretakers at Westmead Mansion. No, that's another well, story. I mean, for like, another time, like Mrs. Oh Mrs. Sloan, like the neighbor's housekeeper, was an African American. You know, okay, but I, I was I, wondering I think, about that. I think yeah. it was, you know, like pretty much, I guess, all white families over oh, there, and without families. question. Yeah, and it was modern, you know, because there were Jewish families. Right. Um, but one thing I would say about the about the hitchhiking, because that was still considered sort of rural, and also I forty, if I'm not mistaken, did not exist then. 
This would have been Highway 70, the famous Bristol to Memphis Highway. Uh And so it might not be inconceivable that someone would hitchhike, but an African-American in that neighborhood who wasn't either tending the yard or cleaning the house was... Stuck out. Stuck out, yeah. Okay. I assume that too, but... And I mean, just as, as far as hitchhikers in general, I mean, this is the late 60s and, you know... People were hitching. People were hitching. Sure. Hippies. Getting in cars with people. All over the country. Don't do that. Writing books about it. Don't do that, man. You end up in a fucking murder cult. Anyway. So, police felt like this guy that people had seen hitchhiking could have been the assailant. Um, The reports they received indicated that the man was, quote, not interested in the direction where the cars were going. So, you know... Like, he probably just wanted to get the fuck out of there. Um, police received an anonymous tip that an ex-con was in town from Chicago and might have knowledge of the killing. The informant also said that the man in question was trying to leave town. So this led police to pick up 23-year-old Albert Merritt Jr., who was released from prison in Tennessee back in April of 1967 after having done some time for burglary. Prior to that, he had a lengthy arrest record that included offenses in Atlanta, Pensacola, and Chicago. Jeez, and he was only 23? Yeah. And um, so Merritt was taken into custody for questioning and admitted that he had been driving the stolen car that was found stuck in the mud behind the Woodfield home. So it was a stolen car. Um, Late that evening, he was charged with failure to register as an ex-con and as a fugitive from justice, which was a charge related to that car theft. Um, And So that wasn't even a thing back then where you had to, like, register? Well... Like, have a parole officer, I guess? Oh, I I would think, yeah, that was certainly a benefit. Yeah, I think that's probably what they mean as far as... Okay, I was, like, registered, and then it, as I said, I was like, oh, they probably mean parole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And police said they found a bloody pair of pants at his home. Um, I can't say that's a certainty. I mean, they did take a pair of pants from his home, but I read later that... Those weren't ever presented as evidence in the trial, and the defense thought it was because maybe they didn't have any blood on them, and because of some of the facts surrounding how she was killed, you know, in this narrative where they say he did it, he should have had blood on him. Uh, But he, Merritt told the police he had borrowed a shovel from Mrs. Woodfield to get the car unstuck from the mud, and he denied knowledge of or involvement in the murder Uh, but he told police that when he came back to return the shovel he saw blood on the steps there like the front stairs of the house and he also admitted to being the guy that people had seen hitchhiking on highway 70 and uh he was advised of his rights supposedly that's there's a lot of contention about that but um declined to call a lawyer y'all to call a lawyer. Anyway, um, been told why? That. Yeah, why? Why don't talk to the police? Yeah, but I mean, he's a black man. Like, not to be that way, but like, 
I'm pretty sure that they're being nice about how this incident went down. Oh, yeah, if well, I had to guess. well, okay, and that's that's the other thing. You know thing. what I mean? Like, and and they didn't say. I mean, well, these were all coming from contemporary newspaper articles, so they wouldn't have said anything about this. You know, there there wasn't any, any sort of a racial angle to it Sorry. that I found in there. That doesn't mean there wasn't one, but um, later on. You know, there was a lot of talk from his lawyers about how he was kept from, you know, going to see a judge. He was questioned for a really long time. And, you know, they tried to coerce him into signing a statement and all of this. So, so yeah, there's some questions there about that. Uh, but just in general, don't talk to the fucking cops without a lawyer, people. I mean, you know, like, don't murder people either. But, um, mm -hmm. so, anyway. Yeah, that's that's good rule. That, that, that's a good place to start. <laughs> not Golden rules people. of something's not right podcast. Number one, don't talk to the police. Number two, don't murder people. Yeah, don't fucking murder people. So unless they're trying to murder you, I take a stance on that. Yeah, they're trying to murder you. All bets are murdered off. the yeah. shit out of them. <laughs> so police said they. They said they obtained a confession from Merritt on December 2nd, but that night a reporter interviewed him in his cell, which sounds weird to me. No, that um, was a thing. Oh, that would have, yeah, that's entirely possible. Uh-huh, for a long time. And reporters had, like, insane access yeah. to people. He, he adamantly denied confessing to this reporter. Um, when asked about that, about his denial to the reporter, the assistant police chief said they had a confession, but he didn't know whether or not it had been signed. Um, and then police reportedly returned to the crime scene that day with Merritt to search for the weapon. Um, it was a, a paring knife, they said, and, um, uh, because he had supposedly volunteered to help them locate it. He allegedly told police he, quote, stomped the knife into the ground near the Woodfield home, um, but they weren't able to find it during the two-hour search. Police claim Merritt then voluntarily reenacted the murder. There's a lot of question about that, too. Um, you killed somebody else? No. Um, they also said he threw the license plates into the nearby woods. Um, Ooh, should look for those. <laughs> this is like the worst this, criminal ever. Those could still be out there. If this is all true, like, he's terrible. Yeah. Well, and they say... It's committing crime. Careless at best. Yeah. They say he had still not exercised his right to an attorney at this point, obviously, because your lawyer would have said, no fucking do this. He probably couldn't afford one if he's robbing people. Well, um, and, and just to give a little context to this, and this does go back to the racial factor. For one thing, black individuals at that time did what they were told, and they especially did what they were told by the police. And you've got to remember, this was only a few, and correct me if I'm wrong, historian, but this was only two or three years after President Johnson's landmark civil rights legislation was passed. Was yeah, sixty-seven. Yeah, so Civil Rights Act of sixty-four. Well, voting rights, Civil Rights sixty-five, voting rights sixty-four. But That's correct. Yeah. And this was also a year before nineteen sixty-eight when everything changed. But prior to nineteen sixty-eight, this was a Southern town, yeah. and racial attitudes were what you might expect them to be. Okay. 
And they certainly were in that neighborhood. Well, I can I can definitely buy that they may have, you know, done some inappropriate shit with this mm-hmm. guy, and that is not cool. But I mean, also, facts as they are, facts. He, I'm pretty sure he did. But um, right doesn't mean when, he wasn't treated right, how he right. should be treated. Right. Right. But yeah, but like, there's when, a lot going on there. Yeah, when you hear the whole thing, I think I think they got the right guy. I mean, you know, hopefully, hopefully he was treated fairly. But so they never we'll found the license plates. No, it could still be out there. I guess we should find him. Um, and so he told the police that he was driving out Highway 70 looking for a job. Um, at the time that his car got stuck in the mud, there wasn't any information in the newspaper explaining why he ended up on the dirt road, um, which wouldn't have been far from the highway, but it sounded to me like it didn't make sense for a place for him to be looking for work. Um, but there, there was a partially wooded area about a hundred yards from the Woodfield home. And that's where, that's the one where people used to dump trash and, Okay. You know, go What's the timeline between, didn't you say that the, the only other crime that had been reported was at their house, too, and had been broken into? Yeah, while they in were. In 65? No, it was the year before. In 66, while they were, like, away at their summer. Was home. that guy here? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't think. I think That's it, just me being very, like, hmm. I think it was unrelated. Well, these people, uh, people want to rob them, apparently. Well, and there was another there was another, uh, I don't know if you call this an incident because it was a string of incidents. There was a um, child molester in the neighborhood. Whoa. Who that's another, that's a good topic for another upcoming episode. And he, he, I know of at least one girl he picked up. Like he would cruise the neighborhood or yes. he lived in the mm-hmm. neighborhood? That was unclear. There was some oh yeah, assist- we're gonna have to yeah, talk this is, more about that. That's a new episode. That's a new but there episode. there had been that because uh, um, but I can imagine the paper not being the time that it was as like quick to write stories. Well, about and that. it was kept very hush hush among the families because oh, the girl yeah. who was picked up was the daughter of a minister, oh, and gosh. um, we think that one of my sisters was approached, but she didn't. Oh yeah, didn't get in. Yeah. Anyway, so there it. But by and large, this was a very crime-free area. Okay. Gotcha. Well, um. So, well, he was apparently over there looking for a job. I don't mm-hmm. know what. Kind, I mean, maybe like maybe if he was looking for handyman work, it would make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Or like lawn work. Yeah. 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 Well, um, but was this in December? It was... Or November? Because it was like, about December. I think it was December or no or late November. Uh, I don't that want, seems a little I don't more want to scroll back and lose my thing. Yeah, People working in yards in but, November. Um, so, I don't really know exactly what he was doing there. I, you know, I wondered if it was a place where people were dumping stuff, if maybe he needed to ditch the car because it was stolen. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't, that would make sense. I don't know anything about car theft. Um, but I wonder whose car it was. This is not, that was a good car, too. That was, it was somebody, so, somebody in Chicago. That car for me. 
So he told police that Mrs. Woodfield invited him in for coffee, which he declined. (laughs) Come in, stranger. Um, (laughs) Okay. He declined and he left with the borrowed shovel. He said he brought the shovel back when he was unsuccessful digging the car out and he propped it up against the rear of the house, which squares with how they found it. Um, according to Merritt, he went to knock on the door to thank Mrs. Woodfield and notice blood. And he said he, he took off then. He was afraid he'd be accused of the crime due to his criminal record. Um, and so he left. And um, he walked out to Highway 70 to hitchhike and ultimately ended up walking over to Highway 100. And he, he got a ride from a trucker. A trucker dropped him off at 21st Avenue North, and he walked home. And Merritt also told police that he didn't match the description of the man seen in the Woodfield yard. I don't. I mean, he wasn't burly, <laughs> so I, I, maybe that's why he was kind of kind of a thin guy. Um, but he eventually declined to answer further questions and refused to take a lie detector test. Mm. So by December third. I read that police were searching for an additional suspect, having made plaster casts of two sets of footprints behind the Woodfield residence, and I think maybe, maybe by that car. Uh, They said one was made with engineer boots and the other by someone in sharp pointed beetle type shoes. I'm guessing this means like beetle boots. So basically Chelsea boots, which are my favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, The footprints led from a house in the area to where Mrs. Woodfield's purse was found. Those casts were sent to the FBI for analysis. I never saw any further information on the prints or the possibility of an additional suspect after after what I read about that. Um, so I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Maybe because I just wanted to talk about Chelsea Those boots. Awesome boots. Yeah. I used to have a pair, like in a vintage pair, and nice. I don't know what I did with them. Damn it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, I found him at a thrift store when I was like 13. 
by December 4th, the Tennessean was reporting that Merritt's confession statement was signed, once in a spot indicating that he waived the right to the presence of an attorney during interrogation, and again at the end of the confession. In the statement, Merritt said he had borrowed the shovel and noticed Mrs. Woodfield's purse on the kitchen counter at the time, and when he went back to return the shovel, he found the house unlocked and he believed she'd gone over to neighbor's house. So he went in the kitchen to look for money and Mrs. Woodfield caught him going through her purse. She grabbed him around the neck, yelled at him to give her the purse back. And he said, he just grabbed the knife from the counter and he stabbed her in the side. I think she said something like you cut me. And, um, she just held on tighter and she actually wrestled him to the floor. Um, and in the struggle, he stabbed her twice in the chest. She got up, made her way out of the kitchen. And um, that's why when they were talking about the pants or when I mentioned the pants earlier, she was above him when he stabbed her. And they felt like because of that, there would have been blood on his pants. Um, don't know. Um, but so then he grabbed her purse. He took off out the back door. He took $33 out of the purse and threw it. Uh, where the cops later found it about 50 yards from the house. And the, that same story where I read that said that police were confused because they found a kitchen knife in the hallway of the Woodfield residence. They thought maybe Mrs. Woodfield, Woodfield might have grabbed it, you know, trying to fend herself and just dropped it running out. It was, wasn't the murder weapon, I guess. Um, then... So they sent her purse to the FBI to examine along with those pants they got from Merritt's home. And they were hoping they'd find some fingerprints on the ID cards inside. They also lifted prints from the car and items inside the Woodfield home. I don't think I ever saw any mention of the findings on that. So I don't know if they got them or not. Um, but uh, at some point on December 4th, the judge appointed three attorneys to represent Merritt. And he was bound over to the grand jury on first-degree murder charges. Um, later that day, the president of the Nashville chapter of the ACLU, Whitworth Stokes Jr., offered legal assistance to him, citing, quote, grave reservations about the way Metro Police have handled the case. Hmm. Um, Stokes was concerned because Merritt had been in custody for several days without legal representation. And he said, quote, in view of the Supreme Court cases, all confessions they have obtained would be meaningless if he had not at least seen an attorney. Uh, police countered that Merritt had repeatedly declined counsel, signed a confession and reenacted the crime. They also said he had, quote, signed all sorts of waivers to counsel. On December 8th, the Vanderbilt Bar Association approved a resolution taking issue with, among other things, the press coverage of the murder. It stated that the coverage had been irresponsible and improper and disregards the rights of the accused, the interests of the public, and the sensibilities of the deceased's family. It went wow. on to say that the statements issued by police to media outlets regarding alleged confessions uh, by merit had seriously undermined the chances for a fair trial in Nashville. You got something to say about that? You look like well, I'm I'm curious 
as to whether they differentiated. There were two major newspapers at that time, and one of them was extremely conservative. The other one was a pro-civil rights paper, and I just wonder, did they differentiate between coverage? Because the two newspapers often covered things very differently. Uh, it didn't say. What, are you are you saying the Tennessean was the pro-civil rights paper? Right. Who was the not pro-civil rights That paper? was the Nashville Banner. Okay, I saw. I was about to ask because I figured those were the two papers at the time. Yeah. I don't, they didn't I don't differentiate. know. I mean, I, I, everything I read was from the Tennessean just because that's what I have the easiest access to. Um, so maybe they were talking about the banner because I... It, at That's least, interesting that that became a thing. At least as far the press coverage, well, and that pe that it was called into question so much so that they like did this about it. I don't know. I feel like I wish they'd do that shit more now. <laughs> With how the sometimes media treats people who are the accused and basically, you know, does a public trial before. An actual one can take place, oh, but Nancy Grace. But yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> we could do a whole episode about that kind of shit because it pisses me off really bad. Yeah. Well, in mid January of 1968, Merritt's attorneys charged that police offered him a deal to keep him from the chair if he would plead guilty <laughs> to the murder. Um, and a judge issued a temporary injunction preventing sergeants. Harold Woods and Clarence Huffman from questioning Merritt anymore. Um, Huffman denied having offered a deal and claimed Merritt had asked to speak to sergeants about getting a deal from the DA. He also said he didn't recall any mention of the electric chair. Woods and Huffman alleged that Merritt had complained that his attorneys were neglecting him. Um, Merritt's lawyers claimed that Woods and Huffman had attempted to intimidate Merritt into firing his attorneys and accepting a specific public defender to help him make a guilty plea. So that's sketchy. Yeah. Um, you know, but basically, you know, he signed the confession because, um, he says, because they were threatening him with the electric chair, and I think they also had his... his crying pregnant wife there too oh my so. god you didn't tell us that he had a wife that was pregnant yeah yeah i found that That's out later wishing um, she was here with him she yeah she was with him when he, the police were questioning him at some so point. they he basically fled chicago as like a fugitive is the way I'm yeah i mean i this. think he lived here this was the home base for him like his family lived here her family oh, lived here. I, I don't know okay. what he'd been doing in chicago now but, you said he'd served time he'd served time here did you say yeah that? he had been released from prison here earlier in that year Okay, now I'm starting to formulate more of a picture. Yeah. Because I think for a minute there I thought, was he like, had he fled here? Yeah, well that's how it sounded in, it, when I said that thing at first about the, the anonymous tip coming in. It was like a criminal from Chicago. I, and I think, you know, okay, it was more like he had just come back from Chicago. And he had stolen the So they, there. yeah, they're making it seem like they pulled out all the stops to get this guy yeah. to... Well, but I think you you also need to take into consideration that there was a tremendous amount, and I remember this, a tremendous amount of public pressure 
to get this solved. This and, crime specifically? Yes. yes. Because and they were, do you think? Because, because of they where were, it was. And because they were, people I'm assuming knew this family, this couple? I don't, I don't not know that people really did because they weren't but it from have, here. Okay, it just had more to do with if they lived in a people nice did, They didn't know their people. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. there was a, a great deal of public pressure because it was a, you know, a Happy Valley neighborhood. That's not to say that these detectives weren't genuinely convinced that he committed the crime and that they weren't genuinely trying to do justice by this victim, but they were under a lot of pressure. That makes sense. Um, well, uh, he ended up going to trial, obviously. Um, and after an eight-day trial and jury deliberation that lasted just a little over four hours, and I'm sorry if you can hear like bacon frying in my kitchen, but we have a we have a weird recording our fact, situation. Our, today. our research assistant is hungry. Yeah, uh, he's he's cooking for a party. So. He looks like a sad puppy right now. Anyway, sorry I'm about hungry. the noise pollution. We're a real professional operation. Uh, who cares? So the jury deliberated just a little over four hours, and Merritt was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life. Uh, so I saw sentenced to life somewhere, sentenced to 99 years somewhere else. I don't really understand how sentencing works and, like, what it really means, but I'm just going to tell you what I got here. Um, this meant he would have parole eligibility in 13 years and seven months. So, and right after the trial, Alan J. Woodfield, the victim's husband, um, he said that he felt that if Merritt had received psychiatric treatment, at a young age, the murder might have never happened. He wow, said, that's a progressive way to yeah, certainly look at it. He said that um, Nashville should try to provide some sort of mental health system to provide care for children from poor families. And Mr. Woodfield felt that the crime was also a tragedy for Merritt's family. He said he wow. felt compassion for Merritt's father. Um, he said that. Albert Merritt Sr. had testified that he tried to get psychiatric help for his son as a child, but couldn't afford it. Uh, I don't that I that stood out to me because that was yeah. like really kind of him to take that approach and yeah. and surprising because you know the South. Um, yeah. But this family well, was from the Northeast, so I wonder if they maybe had had better attitudes about that sort what of thing. What about mental health? Sounds like a bunch of parvenus to me. It, well, that's exactly what they were, but that's why they they parvenued in here and I, I don't know what that means. More is that progressive some, attitudes. Is that something offensive I'm going to have to edit out? Parvenus is outsiders. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so um, my takeaway is that Merritt probably he didn't plan to go in there and commit a murder. I don't but know. he got scared, and she was attacking him. And I, I don't know what he was doing up there. I'm not sure that he necessarily planned to go up there and, you know, I mean, money. it may have been a legit story that he was stuck and borrowed, asked yeah. to borrow a shovel. I mean, well, he was stuck. I mean, that part, right. that part is fact. Um, but I think he wanted, he saw that purse. He wanted to take the money. He got caught and acted impulsively during the fight. I mean, she ran away out the front door, and he didn't even go after her. So yeah, it wasn't that like, says a lot too. Yeah, it's and like I'm not no going to try to finish her. Boners own. happening. No boners. There were no. This was a boner-free situation. Apparently, it's our first boner-free episode. Man, boners are not all around. 
Not this time. Not this time. I'm sure there was some happening, though. Somewhere in there. There was probably some at Hattie Ray's, I bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet you there were. And there were five of us, so there were... Hey, uh, hey, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Oh, no. All right. Moving on. And also, I want to go on a little tangent here regarding the jury. Uh-oh. Um, if, this might only be interesting to me. I find weird things interesting. No, but it's okay. On my episode coming up, I've made, like, interesting notes about, like, you'll like it about elections of governors and who ran against them. Oh, man. That they I are didn't know. to hear it. Yeah, about the guy that was the governor of Tennessee at the time. Sorry, but... JR is who he that. ran against. I had no idea that this ever even happened. What, Roy Aka? Yes. <laughs> so, so the jury in this case was sequestered throughout the trial. Um, I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe nowadays they put jurors up in like a hotel. Uh, but apparently, they sequestered them. In 1968, that wasn't the case here. They were actually kept at the Metro Courthouse, and there was a, I read a short article about it, uh, about the accommodations there, that they mentioned sleeping quarters that are located on a special level of the courthouse between the 6th and 7th floors. That's where my notes said, that's some being John Malkovich shit. It is. <laughs> There's like a secret the, floor the, for The Murphy building. Yeah. Those yeah. jurors are going to fly is super out of New Jersey Turnpike. Uh, and if you go to the, this is the historic Metro Courthouse, your research assistant um, apparently put the mayor's spokesperson um, through quite a routine to try to get me the exact number of how many floors there were because I got an email back that had been CC'd to various members of the <laughs> Metro, like eight or nine people. Anyway, um, I think we said nine. There are nine floors nine to that. Floors, but yeah. if you go now... To the courthouse, uh, the mysterious sixth and a half floor, I think, is labeled 6M. But I had forgotten. I've been on that floor. I think Chancery Court is there now. Did you fall out on the New Jersey Turnpike? Apparently, when I walked uh, down the stairs. Is it small? I mean, it's not like, I don't do have you, to like do lean call, over. Did but, you call but, into but a it, But did it feel weird or it didn't feel like other floors? It, well, it sort of hangs is the thing, right? Like, it's, you know, it's yeah, not like a full floor you. like it. It's you like are aware a, that you are between two main floors. It's like a mezzanine. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. I was hoping for it to be a lot weirder than that. <laughs> yeah, I really, really wanted to be in John Malcolm's situation. I wanted situation. you to have to like crouch to walk in there. So, <laughs> this is where Mrs. Woodfield's story ends, but I have a little bit more on Albert Merritt Jr. and Uh-oh. some people kind of around him. On December 23rd, 1968, uh, he was awaiting a hearing in appellate court. He escaped the Metro Jail with two other inmates. Um, They had allegedly used hacksaw blades brought to them in the pages of a magazine, sawing through some bars on the windows on two adjacent cells uh, around 4.30 in the morning. And there were only two guards on duty, and so the trio was able to climb through their third floor windows and climb, I think, up and over the police station roof. I don't know how they got down, but that's how they got out. Um, Bed sheets. <laughs> other inmates... What I picture. Other inmates gave police the information about the, the magazine and the files and um, also said that they had overheard the three escapees uh, talking about having access to a car besides Merritt the two other escapees 
you're gonna like this. Um, they were Jack Ronald Haas. His alias was Jack Fury. Oh my god, it's the best fucking name. I know. <laughs> I love it. Jack he, Fury? He looked creepy, but his name was Jack Fury. Was he Nick Fury's like long lost brother? Yes. Who did not join the Avengers? Yes. He was not avenging <laughs> shit. Um, he was in the pokey. Except himself. Yeah. yeah. So God, it's a good name. He Jack Fury, um, he was set uh to go to trial for the bludgeoning death of a local pharmacist. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, so he's not a nice guy. Here and, in town, he killed a pharmacist? Yeah. And, you have to investigate that one. Um, the mm -hmm. other guy that escaped with them was James Daniel Putty. Oh, that's uh, a good name, too. It, it makes, makes me think, think of Seinfeld. Yeah, gotta support the team. <laughs> uh, but his nickname <laughs> I enjoyed also was Jam Up. Um, Wait a second. And Jelly Tall. Oh, Jam Up Putty. Jam Up Oh my god. I still not as good as Jack Fury. No. So anyway. But still, Jack Fury and Old Jam Up. <laughs> old Jam Up. Oh man, these are great. Well, he got that from that song, Jam Up and Jelly Tight. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, well, Old Jam Up was looking at a 60 year sentence. I don't sentence. think he was in the roller derby. Because that's the only other way I would think of yeah. that nickname being used. So he was looking at a 60 year sentence. What in the hell are you doing in the kitchen? Sorry, I tried to be quiet. Well, you're not. Uh, <laughs> 60 year sentence for armed robbery in Clarksville. Awaiting 60 year sentence for yeah. armed robbery? And he was awaiting appeal in Nashville on a conviction for larceny and receiving. So, uh, Jack Fury and Jam Up Putty, they held... <laughs> there was I'm this, writing a story about them. There was this Lebanon family, and <gasps> Putty apparently knew them, um, and they, they came to their home wanting to borrow money, and they felt, held this family hostage for Holy a couple shit. of days. It was like a man and his wife and their five-month-old baby. Um, and and Jam Up did, or both of them? Both of them did, um, but but old Jam Up knew him. <laughs> and uh, so Jack Fury eventually shot and killed Jam Up Putty at oh. this family's home. Jam Up. Oh, okay. So this happened after they escaped. Yeah, yeah. Jam Up, Jam Up, and Jack Fury went off together. Um, our guy Omar Merritt, he was Booked he was it. yeah he was out okay. of here. <laughs> Um, it's a good thing, sounds like. Mine ended up dead. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Ugh. That, Lebanon is not somewhere I want to die. I'm no. just going to go on record saying no, that. No, sir. <gasps> um, so, um, yeah, he murdered his, his pal over there in that home. And he fled to Kentucky in a stolen car. Nothing good happens in Kentucky. We have talked about this. Only a handful of good things it ain't good out of Kentucky. Not good. Okay, uh, so Haas wrecked the car. Excuse me, Jack Fury wrecked the car, and I love that his last name is How Haas. Eventually, he robbed and shot at just like a good Samaritan who tried to get him medical attention, you know, from wrecking the car. Luckily, the guy wasn't hit, but uh, Jack Fury's got a short fuse. Yeah, yeah. Jack Fury stole that man's car and ended up wrecking it. Yeah, stealing yet another <laughs> car. These guys are horrible vehicles. Fucking classy dudes, too. Um, Haas ended up crashing the third stolen car 
into the car of the sheriff. <laughs> oh my God. Who was out there investigating the robbery that hostage just committed oh because apparently God. he got confused and went back the same way he'd come. Uh, so, so he's kind of an idiot. Jack Fury, that he was originally, or he was eventually found lying in the attic of an unoccupied house, bleeding. I think by like a deputy or whatever. And and so he refused the police officer's order to come out. So the officer fired a shot over his head. At which point, Haas cooperated, like <laughs> like you do. So he was arrested on January third, nineteen sixty nine, and that is last thing I know about him. Back to Albert Merritt Jr. He was captured on March 3rd, 1969. And if you'll recall, they escaped like, I think it was like the day before Christmas, something like that. So he, so was, he was on the run, he was on the run for a while. Yeah. And he was captured um, in Indiana following a shootout with the police. And uh, he, he had been shot in the arm and the left shoulder and three police were injured. That was like an intense story too, but I... With the shootout? Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, and he gave an alias to the arresting officers, but eventually somehow they figured out who he was when they got some information from the Metro Police. And um, three weeks after the shootout, he was sentenced to two prison terms, total of 24 years for this incident. He, he ended up serving four years. And, and I guess at that point they, you know, sent him back to us to, to serve for the murder. Um, because of that escape, he forfeited his right to that hearing in appellate court that he'd been waiting for over Mrs. Whitfield's murder. Uh -oh. Um, and so he ended up being released on parole in June 1984. Damn. But I found the last article I found about him in June 1990 or 1988, he pleaded guilty to a robbery attempt of a North Nashville market. Um, Uh-oh. And that plea bargain earned him another five years in prison. Uh, I, I looked through the criminal court clerk's online database. like to do that. I like to look up people I know. Um, oh. Some of my friends have been, who have been arrested. Um, I know about y'all. <laughs> so I looked him up there. and the Call Olivia before you... Get serious with somebody. Yeah, yeah. The, I'll check it out. The lowdown I, on their. I also like to go history. on Metro Maps and find out how much y'all paid for your houses mm -hmm. too. So um, yeah, that's always fun. And what's up? And then I'm sitting there looking at people's like what they paid for their houses. Must be nice, assholes. <laughs> so they're probably really in debt. I'm probably. Yeah, I'm glad. And miserable. I'm not petty. Um. <laughs> But so all of that shit was really confusing to me because like also it's you can tell they've imported some really old files into there and they don't have complete details. And it, I couldn't really make sense of what was what in there. I saw an aggravated rape charge for merit. No, and I mean, or yeah, for merit, but not Mrs. Woodfield. And it, it looks like it had happened in 1985, also one for first degree murder then, but it was just... Jesus. The timeline on that, it was very confusing. I have no idea what it was. I want to know what happened to his wife. All I know and is baby. that he is currently in prison. God, know, he's old as fuck. I mean, he blew... I've got a picture of him, too. I'll have to show you. He, he blew... I don't know. His parole on that murder. 
So um, that would do it. Yeah, I'll yeah I'll have to show you um, a picture of him later. Yeah, I want to see what he looks like. But like he, it's a it's more current. Yeah, or him then. Do we have old? I've got both. Then? And in fact, he actually um, he was kind of good looking when he was younger. Yeah. I want to know and what. He looks I want to know what fury. Well, that's what prison will do to him. Yeah, he looks like I a know grizzly what old man. Buddy looked like. Can I, we get photos of them? Yeah, yeah. I can. I can find those for you. Oh, absolutely. Um, they're not. They're they not that like. interesting looking though. Uh, were they black too? No, they were white guys. Oh. Um, you knew Jam Up one. Old Jam. What Jam Up was white? Whitey Jam Up. I don't know. Um, that could. I feel like those nicknames could have went either way. But. Um, that's that's the story of Mrs. Woodfield, and on our next episode, we are also going to have um, another visit from my mom, because it's another Westmead murder from olden times. So, <laughs> we will... Do you have anything to add to this story yeah. before we close? I don't. Well, just a, a little... Bookend? Just a little atmosphere from it. I don't know that children should have been exposed to anything like this, but we were. We all knew about Ms. Woodfield. Oh. And um, yeah, but it you, was frightening. What's, was, what's that? Uh, little pictures have big ears. Isn't that a phrase for when kids hear everything? Yeah, that's true. They yeah. Have. And so, so, but I remember but it I being it was a terrifying. frightening time. Um, I would have been in about the ninth grade, I guess. And, you know, you're... Start locking your door? No, we didn't start locking our door until the house was broken into. Your I, house was broken yes, into? Yes, I mean, not broken into. Thieves walked right in and stole all of our Christmas presents. What? Right before Christmas. Whatever. It was probably you stealing them all for yourself. <laughs> but anyway, it was a... You know, because it was such a white bread neighborhood. Yeah. Happy Valley. Yeah. I, it was just very frightening that this had happened. Sorry you about know. it, Uptown Girl. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we'll see you next time. Yep.